Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Well, friends, this morning, I, I certainly am praying for you, especially during this coronavirus outbreak. And it is my hope and my desire and certainly our prayer that we will be back together uh, relatively soon. And certainly we're going to be praying for that. And I had the wonderful opportunity of being able to pray for many of you yesterday. My wife's uh, grandmother sadly passed away uh, on Friday. And, and so uh, we had some time yesterday in the car as we traveled to Jackson, Mississippi together. And I spent a good bit, a bit of that time uh, calling many of you and uh, spending time with you. And it was such a pleasure and joy uh, to hear what God is doing in your lives and how God is sustaining you and how wonderfully faithful he has been to you during this period of time. And so uh, I want to let you know, as I was trying to be a, uh, an inspiration and a pastor to you, in many ways, uh, you were blessing me uh, with your stories, and so God bless you. Uh, I want to introduce myself to you. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. I would like to open us this morning with a word of prayer, and as I pray, I would encourage you to go to Luke chapter 16. Uh, we are done with Luke 15. We are moving on to Luke chapter 16, and we're going to be reading this morning from verses 1 through 13. So why don't we start this morning with a word of prayer? Would you bow your heads with me? Uh, Father God, Lord, we come before you today. Lord, we expect you to use your word to speak directly to us. Father God, we ask that you would allow this parable, this story to influence us, to help us, Lord, to be more committed to you. Lord, that under careful examination, we might see the areas in our lives where we've not been honest, where we've not operated with character, where we've not seen uh, in ourselves integrity. And so, Father, today I pray that you will extract the areas of sinfulness out of our lives and that, Lord, you would carefully install your Spirit into our hearts. So, Father, that we might live not just in a more positive way, but in a more Christ-like way. Lord, help us to, to speak as Christ would speak and to think as Christ would speak. Or, or as he would think. Father, help us to do as Christ would do. Lord Jesus, we ask you to bless the hearing, the reading, and the application of your word this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, years ago, I was a teenager and I was living in Montgomery, Alabama. And I was working for a local gym there in town. And my job was to be there at the gym at 4.30 in the morning. I was about 19 years old at the time. And so you can imagine as a 19-year-old kid being asked to wake up around 3.45 every day and arrive at that gymnasium by 4.30 and I was opening the doors. That was a bit of a hard ask, I'll be honest with you. But I, as I was in that managerial role, my boss told me to be there at 4.30, open the doors so that people could come in, so that they could work out. And I was also told that I was to be standing the entire time, that I was to be working the entire time, that I could vacuum the floors, 
that I could clean the machines, uh, that I could wipe down uh, surface areas, that I could clean the bathrooms, that I could mop out uh, the, the showers if I wanted to, but, but there was no sitting down on the job. And you can imagine, again, at 4.30 in the morning, the only thing that I really wanted to do was to sleep. And so I got into a bit of a habit. When I would go into the gym around 4.30 and I'd open the doors and let everybody come in, uh, off to the very back of the gymnasium, there was a, an area for massages. And so I would go back in that area, I'd open the door and I'd lay down on this massage table, face down, as you, you know, are familiar with massage tables, and I'd turn off the lights and I would set an alarm and I would wake up. My boss would generally come in to the, to the gymnasium about 7 o'clock in the morning. So I would set my alarm for about 6.45 and, and I would wake up just as she was coming in and I would be working and she would never know the wiser. That worked now for several weeks until some of the folks that actually came to the gym, they began to, uh, they began to rat me out, if I'm just being honest with you. They began to tell my boss that I was uh, not just coming in and working, but rather I was actually coming in and sleeping on the job. So my boss told me, as she discovered me once, she walked into the back of this massage room. She came in early, and she walks into the back of this massage room, and she finds me uh, face down, lights off, snoring, uh, totally asleep. And so she wakes me up. And she says, Stuart, I'm just going to tell you that if I, if I see this happen again, I've been told numerous times by numerous people that this is what your habit has been. But if you come in and you sleep on the job again, I'm going to have to let you go. And so I said, yes, you're right. I shouldn't do that. And so the next day happened. And what do you think happened? Well, I think you probably know the rest of the story. I, I opened the door at 4.30 in the morning. I walked in, and I had every intention of doing the job, but sadly, that massage room was calling my name. And so I went back, opened the door, turned off the lights, laid face down on that table, and what do you know, my boss decided to come in about 5 o'clock in the morning that day, and what do you think she caught me doing? Well, she caught me not just taking a nap, but totally out cold asleep. I, 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 and at that moment, she said, Stuart, I'm sorry, I've already warned you once, but now I'm going to have to let you go. I'm going to have to fire you. It's one of the only times in my entire life that I've actually been fired from a job. And thankfully, I feel like I have grown a lot since I was 19 years old. I feel like I'm a much better manager today at 42 than I was when I was 19. But friends, have you ever had something like that happen to you before? Have you ever been exposed? Have you ever been put in charge of something and you didn't really do a great job? Kind of like me. Have you ever been exposed? Have you ever been let go? Have you ever been excused from your job? Uh, maybe you didn't handle things the right way. Maybe you, maybe you didn't speak to the right people. Or maybe you were just like me, just flat out asleep at the wheel. And maybe you were excused, you were fired, you were let go. And of course, if you've ever been exposed or excused from your job, there is considerable embarrassment that comes along with that. I can remember going back to my house and, and my dad saying, son, what are you doing at home? And I, I had to come clean. I had to tell my dad, dad, you know, I didn't handle this the right way. And, and sadly, I've been fired. 
And so there's embarrassment that comes along with that. Well, if you are like me, chances are you've probably got some, you know, when you were young, maybe you were excused from a job before. Uh, but, but you've probably been there before, maybe not in the same circumstances, but maybe you've been there before where you've been exposed for not handling things well. You were let go. You were embarrassed. Well, friends, that's exactly where we are in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13 this morning. Now, I want to give you some background and context. In Luke 15, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, and now in Luke 16, Jesus is now talking to his disciples. And even though this is not described as a parable, it certainly is a parable of sorts. It's the one of the most difficult passages in all of the Gospel of Luke to interpret because initially it seems that Jesus is commending a shady manager for underhanded business practices. And of course we know that is not the case. We know that Jesus would never commend anybody for doing something dishonest. But if you read the text on its face, you would realize, my goodness, this seems a little strange that Jesus would say some of the things that he is saying. And I want to tell you today that the focus of this parable is to Jesus's disciples. It's to, to, to me and it's to you it's to Christians that we are to respond, and it teaches us how we are to respond to, to worldly wealth and material possessions. Using money to extend the kingdom of God is good, while using money to build an earthly kingdom in our own name is obviously wrong. Money is not merely a means to an end, rather it's a means to a beginning, it's a means to doing something to be a blessing to God or to someone else or certainly to grow God's kingdom. So this morning, let's read together out of Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. I'm reading this morning from the English Standard Version. In verse 1, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man, the manager, was wasting his possessions. We're already talking about a bad manager. And he called him and he said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. So we have a, a bad manager who has now been exposed for doing things incorrectly, and now he has been excused. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am too ashamed to beg. And so now we have the manager who has been exposed, he's been excused, and now he's embarrassed. In verse 4, I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So he has an idea. In verse 5, so summoning his manager's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, I owe a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, I owe a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and now write 80. And the master commended the dishonest manager. This is where things get a little muddy. In verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. 
Now Jesus is speaking in verse 9, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into their eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And if you have not been, been faithful uh, in that which is another's, who will give to you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then we have the familiar ending. You cannot serve both God and money. So this morning I want to offer you four points from the manager's problem. Four points from this dishonest manager's problems. Let's look at Roman numeral one. We have the indiscretion. We have the indiscretion that is discussed in verses 1 and 2. In the opening of Luke 16, we are introduced to two different characters. We're introduced first to the rich man. And by the way, we don't know much about this rich man outside of the fact that he had tremendous wealth. He had so much wealth, in fact, that he had to hire someone else to come in and help him manage it. He could have been a wealthy landowner, or perhaps he had a, a massive vineyard. He was known far and wide for being a man of immense wealth and means. And we know this because when his manager began to manage it dishonestly, he had people from far and wide give reports to him about this dishonest manager. And next we are introduced to the rich man's manager. This man was responsible not only for managing the rich man's holdings, but he was also tasked with growing the wealth of the rich man. This man ran the day-to-day -day operation of the company. You might uh, consider him as a mixture between a, a chief operating officer and a chief financial officer all rolled in to one. He had complete access to his boss's holdings. He had complete access to his riches and his wealth, and he took it upon himself to collect the outstanding debts of the manager. Clearly, it was in this man's job description that he would go to those who owed the rich man money, and he was the debt collector of that rich man. Now, we don't exactly know what this dishonest manager did, but whatever it was, it was considered dishonest. And Scripture said that the manager was wasteful of his employer's possessions. If you go to the, to the Greek word being used here for wasteful, it also means that it was squandered. You see the same word used in Luke chapter 15 in reference to the prodigal son. When the prodigal son received the inheritance from his father, it says that he went off to a distant land and there he squandered his father's inheritance. It's actually a word picture, if you will. It's a picture of a farmer who reaches into his bag of seeds. He takes seeds in his hand and he just throws them out. There's no planning. There's no preparation. There's no uh, facilitation to help those seeds grow. He's literally just wasting pure good seed on nothing. If you wanted to put it into today's terminology, if you're a youth or a college kid, you would say, this guy was making it rain. Everywhere he went, he was handing out dollar bills. And he was being wasteful, not with money that belonged to him, but he was being wasteful with money that did not belong to him, that rather belonged 
to his boss. He was flittering it away. So bold was this man's indiscretion that news was being brought back to his boss. And the boss believed what was said about him. Maybe the boss already had some inkling of what was going on. Maybe the boss had already begun to look at his financial statements and realize that there were things that were missing. There was no argument that when people brought these, uh, these charges against this man's manager, there was no argument from the boss. He must have already known what was taking place. The manager was confronted And yet the manager gave no defense. There was no argument. He had been absolutely busted and there was nothing that he could do about it. He had been caught red-handed. He was guilty. And this boss knew everything about the manager. He had been completely exposed. Just like me laying down on that massage table with the lights off and totally asleep. When my boss walked in, I was busted. When she let go, when she fired me, there was no argument. I just had to take my punishment because I had also been caught red-handed for laying down on the job and for being wasteful of my time. You see, in this parable, we have two characters who represent more than a manager and the boss. In this parable, the boss represents God. He is wealthy beyond measure, and he has dispensed gifts to his children, to his disciples, to his managers. Friends, that's me and you. We are the managers. And God has given to us talents, gifts, energies, and resources. And God has tasked all of us to use those talents, gifts, energies, and resources in a positive way, in a way that would uplift the kingdom of God, in a way that would glorify our Lord and our Savior We are being called to use these talents and we are not being called to squander them or be wasteful of a gift. After all, the gifts that we possess, whether they be physical gifts or spiritual gifts, they're all gifts that have been given to us by God and we cannot waste them. Friend, if you are wasting a gift today, then it is sin. If you are wasting a spiritual gift or a physical gift, If you're not using that gift to bring glory to God, then you are sinning against the one who gave you the gift. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We are to be using our gifts to lift his name high and to serve other people. Friends, the manager is me and and the, the manager is you Blessed to work in God's grace. Blessed to be used. Does the boss need the manager? No. The boss, does. he absolutely does not need the manager. Does God need me or does God need you to get his jobs done? No. But yet we are blessed because God partners with me and he partners with you. He uses us to do his holy work here on planet earth for his glory. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, listen to the words of Paul. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God created you to work for him. It doesn't mean that he needs us, but he uses us anyway. Like the dishonest manager, you and I will stand before God and and we'll have to give an account for how we used our talents, 
that he has given to us, how we used his gifts and his resources. Did we waste them? Did we use them on ourselves? Did we use them to serve God, to grow his kingdoms, and to see others come to Christ? Every single person who's ever been born, who's ever taken a breath, will have to give an account for how they use God's gifts in their life. In Romans chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Every single one of us. And Jesus reminds us in Matthew 12, verse 36, And I tell you this, you must give an account on the day of judgment for every idle word we speak. Can you imagine having to give an account of every word that you have ever spoken? Well, we will give an account of far more than that. We will be accountable not only to the words that we think, but the thoughts that we have had, and also the deeds that we have done. We will have to give an account, just like this manager. And saying this, that day of reckoning does not have to be a bad day. The day that we give our account to God, it does not have to be bad. It can be great if we use God's gifts to bless him and to expand the borders of heaven. Then we will hear a different set of words that's captured in Matthew 25, verse 21, from Jesus himself. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And boy, that will be a great day, won't it? One day when we stand before King Jesus, and if we, as we've used his gift to be a blessing to him and to be a blessing to others, we will hear those words. And so we have the indiscretion. This man was wasteful of gifts that had been given to him by his boss. And now, Roman numeral two, we have the idea. This, this shrewd, unrighteous manager has an idea and that idea is captured in verses 3 through 7. So the manager is fresh out of a job and he becomes desperate as now he feels homeless, homelessness and poverty. They are crouching at his door and he knows that he is not much of a worker. He even says this out loud, I'm not very good at digging. Maybe this guy was not a, a physical man's man, but he certainly was not good at digging. He is also a little prideful. So prideful, in fact, that he doesn't want to beg and ask people for money. Now, that is a very difficult place to be. Where maybe you would say to yourself, well, I don't want to work, but I don't want to beg. Friends, that's where many of us are in our country today. And we've got many people that don't want to work and yet still want to get paid. Friends, that's not the way that it works. Have you ever met people like that? They think they're good enough to do a certain job. Maybe they have a bunch of fancy degrees, but instead of finding work, any work that might support their family, they wait around for something befitting their talent to come along. Friends, how silly and wasteful. A few years ago, I was in Boston, Massachusetts. With my oldest boy, we were there together, and we were taking a tour of the city. And as we were driving around, we would, uh, we would hail Ubers from my phone. And, and we called an Uber, and an Uber basically is just a glorified taxi cab, maybe a little nicer than a taxi. But we, we hailed an Uber, and this really handsome guy, native uh, uh, Bostonian, he pulls up in his Jeep, and he picks me and Jay up. And I sat in the front seat, and Jay was sitting in the back. And I began to talk with this fellow who is an Uber, uh, Uber driver during the summer. He was actually a teacher doing his day job. 
uh, but school was out. And so to make a little extra money, he was also an Uber driver. And I got to know a little bit about his background. I said, well, man, where, where did you go to school? And he said, well, I have an advanced diploma from Boston University. He said, I graduated close to the top of my class. And he said, when I got my advanced degree, I went on and I got a doctorate from another university here in town. I said, really, what, what university? He said, oh, it's a little school called Harvard, is what he said. He had an advanced degree from Boston University, and he had a doctoral degree from Harvard University. And do you know what he was doing? He was an Uber driver. Are you kidding and see, this man, he was ready to work. He was ready to, to do whatever it was necessary in order to make ends meet, to provide for his family. Even if that meant he took his two advanced degrees and stuffed them in the trunk of an Uber car so he could make a dime. Well, friend, that is somebody to be admired. That is called nobility. And yet this man was not willing to do that. He was not willing to work hard. And he was prideful so he had an idea. He called together all those that owned his, uh, owed his boss money. And to one that owed 100 measure, the manager changed it to 50. And to another that owed 100 measures of wheat, he changed it to 80. Why? Why did he do this? Well, presumably, presumably the manager reduced the debt of each one of the master's debtor. The debtors would have been very happy to receive a significant reduction in their debt. The manager was really trying to make sure that when he was out of work, the debtors would be personally indebted to him and they would treat him well when he was cast out on the streets. So what the manager did was dishonest. It's hard to take a dishonest thing and turn it into a good thing. However, there's something important, I believe, to notice from today's scripture. There is real power in forgiveness, these people owed a specific debt, and that debt had been forgiven. It was lessened. The burden that they owed was made lighter. And because this dishonest manager forgave the debts, he was also going to be forgiven his debts. I want to ask you a question this morning. It's a really important, a really powerful question. Are you one who, are you one who forgets others' debts, or do you fixate on others' debts? Are you forgetful of others' debts, or do you fixate on their debts? Are you a grace giver, or are you a grudge holder? Oh, friends, I've always had a, a motto in life that we should give grace because one day we are going to need it ourselves. I've, op I've always operated and leaned on the side of grace. I am sure thankful that I have surrounded myself with people of grace and forgiveness in my life. I can think of a few times here at Eastern, at Eastern Shore Baptist Church where I've not operated in grace. And, and I can remember some conversations uh, with our, our beloved music minister, Tony Higginbotham. And I can remember Tony talking to me and speaking to me about certain subjects. And he always has reminded me, Stuart, I want to remind you to give grace to forgive the debt, to be a forgiver. Friends, do you, um, do you know a, a lady? Her name is Wendy Brindle. Her name is Wendy Brindle, and you probably don't know Wendy Brindle. Wendy Brindle was my boss at the gym 
that I worked at when I was 19 years old. The same gym that I would get up and I would arrive at at 4.30 in the morning every single day. The same gym that I occasionally slept at. The same gym where I was put in a managerial role. That's the same gym. Wendy Brindle is actually the boss that fired me. <laughs> My goodness. Wendy was also one of the very best Sunday school teachers that I've ever had when I was a youth pastor at First Baptist Church of Montgomery. You see, Wendy loves the Lord, and she loved me, and she loved my wife, and she loved my family, and she loved our church. She loves our student ministry. And I, have been a, I had been a lousy employee, I confess. I had been a lousy employee, a lousy employee, but Wendy was a great boss. She was a great boss, a forgiving boss, a, a, a boss who was more than happy to work with me years later as I was her student pastor and as she was a Sunday school teacher. She learned to forgive me. Friends, that's the sort of person that I want to be. I want to be a forgiving, graceful person. I want to be a person that never gives up on someone else. Oh, friend, I, I hope that you'll realize the power in that story. Wendy, although she fired me because I deserved it, but Wendy also forgave me and she never gave up on me. In Matthew chapter 4, or excuse me, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, it says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So who do you need to forgive today? What lesson can you learn? So we have the indiscretion, we have the idea, and then we have the investment in verses 8 and 9. Have you ever made a bad investment? Have you ever made a bad investment? Man, I, I have made uh, my share of bad investments over the years. I really wish I could have been around to tell my dad to make a $1,000 investment in a little company named Apple in 1978. Man, that would have been a really good investment for my dad. I'm still uh, somewhat upset that he didn't see the potential of that company uh, way back then. By the way, if my dad would have invested $1,000 in Apple in 1978, do you know that that investment would be worth upwards of $10 million today? That is quite a turnaround. That would have been a great investment. And do you know, sadly, we seem to remember all the bad investments than the, than the good investments. Well, the employer discovers what this dishonest manager does, and he commends him for his shrewdness. You see, the manager would have generated a lot of ill will, or excuse me, the rich man would have generated a lot of ill will if he would have come back to those who the manager had forgiven their debts and said, no, 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 you owe me everything. That man didn't have the right to forgive those debts. You owe me everything. Can you imagine the ill will that this rich man would have experienced? He might have had an uprising or a riot on his hands, so he had to go with the flow. He couldn't make waves. And Jesus remarks 
that those in the world, the sons of this world, give more foresight to their future. They are more shrewd in their dealings with people than are God's own children, the sons of light. God's children should be shrewd with possessions by being generous. And when we are generous with our possessions, it shows charity and foresight. He also commended the dishonest manager for his commitment. You might think that Jesus is saying that it's good for this man to make unrighteous wealth. And that's not, that's not at all what Jesus is saying. Jesus here is saying that this man is committed to his lifestyle. He is so committed to his lifestyle that he will do anything to continue it moving forward. And Jesus is saying, you know, if only the children of light were as committed to their lifestyle as this rich, dishonest man was committed to his. Imagine the difference that the children of light would make for the kingdom of God. This poor, uh, unrighteous man was willing to go to any length to continue his life the way that it was. And yet many times believers, disciples, uh, Christians will stop and we won't continue forth being committed to our Christ. Oh, friends, in Psalm 37, verse 5, it says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Be committed to the cause of Christ. Show your commitment. Now, in Roman numeral 4, we have the indiscretion, we see the idea, we see the investment that is made, and in Roman numeral four, we have the implications. We have the implications. So Jesus now gives us the application of the parable. What can we learn from today's story? So what can we take away from the parable? What is Jesus trying to communicate? One, he's telling us that we need to be faithful. Be faithful. Jesus says in verse 9, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Sometimes people say that they would give more to God's work if they had money to give, but that's not always the truth, is it? I heard a story about Dr. D. James Kennedy. He told a story uh, about a man named Peter Marshall. He was a former former chaplain of the United States Senate, and he had a concern about tithing. And he came to him and he said, I have a problem. I've been tithing for some time. It wasn't too bad when I was making 20000 a year. I could always afford to tithe 2000 a year. But now I make $500,000 a year, and there's no way that I can tithe $50,000. That's way too much for God to ask of me. Oh, but how it was easier when I made 20 and I could tithe two. Dr. Marshall reflected on this wealthy man's dilemma, and he gave no advice. He simply said, Sir, I, I see that you have a problem, and I think we ought to pray about it. Is that okay? And the man agreed. And so Dr. Marshall, he bowed his head, and he prayed with boldness and authority. Dear Lord, this man has a problem, and I pray that you will help him. Lord, reduce his salary back to the place where he can afford to tithe. Now that's a, a, that's, a, that's a scary place to be. Friends, faithfulness is a central characteristic of God himself. So when we are a faithful people, when you are a faithful person, you look like God. Proverbs 28, verse 20 says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Jesus is telling us in this parable that we are to be a faithful people. Next, we are to be a generous people. 
we are to be givers. Do you know that Christians who attend church are generally more generous than people who do not attend church? Did you know that? People that attend church are generally more generous than people who do not. I can remember many years ago, I was a young youth pastor. Uh, our, we had just had our first child, and to be honest with you, Angela was staying at home, uh, and, and she wasn't working. She was on maternity leave, and, and things monetarily in our family were very, very, very tight. Uh, we didn't have uh, great cars. We didn't have a great house, but, but, we were, but we were happy, and we were joyful with what God had given to us. I can remember showing up one day to work. And I went to my mailbox, and in my mailbox at church, there was an envelope, and it had my name on it. And, and I, I was thinking, well, this is strange. I usually don't get mail like this. And so I, I took the envelope out, I, I sliced it open, and inside that envelope was a check. And, and it was from a check from a, from a prominent member in the church at the time. And he wrote a note on it. He said, Stuart, I, I, I just want to let you know that I love you. And I love your family, and I want to be a blessing to you. And this man had written a check for a sizable amount of money. And he said, I want you to take this check, and I want you to go to a local uh, men's store, and I want you to buy a suit with this money. He goes, I believe that you need a suit. And to be honest with you, he was dead right. I definitely did need a suit. And it was in that moment that I was so thankful for the generosity of God's people. And one of the reasons why I love God's people, truly, one of the reasons why I love being around church people is because I love being around people that challenge me to be generous, people that challenge me to be a giver. And just the other day, Angela and I, we were driving in our car, heading over to, uh, uh, we were heading over to Jackson, and I got just some devastating news about a gentleman that I knew, he was more of an acquaintance than anything. His name was Brian Biggs. And Brian was 45 years old. And every time I was around Brian, he would always talk about uh, the church. He would always talk about Jesus. He would always ask what was going on here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. He took a, a tremendous amount of interest in my family. And, and, and really, he was very interested in the sports that my kids played. He enjoyed coming and watching my kids play. And my oldest son and, and his stepson go to school together. And I found out yesterday by just scanning through Facebook that Brian had had a sudden massive heart attack and died. And it just broke my heart. And yesterday as we were traveling over to Jackson to celebrate the life of my grandmother-in-law, I was so burdened for the Biggs family. And I was so burdened because this man who had several kids was now gone. I know he's a believer. I know he's with Jesus. But it, it still just really hurt. And his wife had set up a GoFundMe account. Her name is Amber Biggs. And, and maybe today if you're... Uh, run around on Facebook. If, if you look up Amber Biggs, you, you'll see her, her Facebook wall and you can learn more about them and their, their family and their story. But she had set up a GoFundMe account and she was trying to raise about $6,000 uh, to handle funeral costs and trying to pay off vehicles and things like that. And you can imagine the suddenness of losing your husband. But one of the great things about GoFundMe is you can see the string of people that have donated. And I, and I just... God just moved in me that I needed to be a part of that. 
And, and maybe there's something that you need to be generous towards as well. See, I think pastors, we always talk about being generous to the church, and you should be. Uh, Angela and I, we tithe, we give uh, to our church, and we're proud to give to our church. But there's a lot of things outside of the church that, need to be, that we need to be generous towards as well. You know, maybe your generosity could be like, you know what, I'm going to go give blood. I'm going to go give blood because this, this COVID stuff is out of control. And maybe that's one thing that you can do to help. Maybe today you might donate some money to a family that you don't even know. And say, you know what, I just want to give because I want to be, I want to practice being generous. I want to practice being a giver. And friends, that's one reason why I love being around God's people is because they challenge me to give. They challenge me to be generous. And I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to do that. So be generous. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So we are, if you go back, we are to be generous. We are to be faithful. And lastly, we are to serve God and not money. Jesus said in verse 13, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. By the way, you could subtract the word money out of there and really put anything else. You can't serve God and anything else. It's either one or the other. There's no middle ground there's a note that's put in the ESV study Bible, and it puts it well. Jesus does not say, should not serve. He says, you cannot serve. It, he's not given us an idea of, oh, you shouldn't serve both God and money. He said, no, 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 you cannot do it. It is physically, spiritually impossible to serve both God and money. We struggle with money because there's a sense in which it is necessary for life and for our well-being, but money is also alluring, it's enticing. And if we don't know how to learn to master our money, guess what? Our money will master us. So let us serve one master and let that master be God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But friends, it's my challenge today to go the Jesus way. Serve others. Be righteous. Be generous. Be faithful in your giving. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Lord, we come before you today. We are so thankful that you've allowed us to come to this place to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I pray that we will be committed to the lifestyle of a disciple, that we will do whatever is necessary so that others might hear the name of Christ, so that heaven can be expanded, and so that your name can be glorified. Lord, thank you for today's worship experience, Lord, and thank you for those that have tuned in this morning and help us to remain for the entirety of today's service as we still have more to do and more to praise. And we pray this today in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. 
We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.